Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to be answering objections to the Trinity. Let me know, Joby, when you do start it. Maybe that would be helpful for me as well, so I can make it a little bit um, precise. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Are we on, good sir? Wonderful. Okay, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 is the text for today discussing the Trinity, using our chapels to go into more depth from the Sunday services. And um, we're going to take today to answer the objections that come up to uh, the Trinity. So what I want to do right now is actually read this passage, and then I want to turn our attention to uh, some of the ejections that Joe B. got. So Joe B., give me a little bit better of a camera shot, please. It looks like it's cutting off some of my head. And uh, I'm going to also share this, and if you guys want to share it, it would be good as well to do so because we want to let people know that we are here. And this is the complicated part for me to do this every week. I love Jesus, and I'm going to be patient with it. Joby had gotten a friend that had said the Trinity is satanic. And, of course, I wanted to write back, you're satanic. You know, but I can't do that on social media anymore because I would rather shave my head with a cheese grater than debate things on social media. But uh, we asked him to send some information to us. He did. We won't name his name or his organization but uh, we're going to read our passage today, and then we're going to address these objections, which are actually very popular objections to the Trinity from the different various cults, primarily the Seventh-day Adventist cult and the um, Jehovah Witness cult. Now, Joby, you had forgot to do this as well. Remember to do this for me as well. I appreciate you helping me. Look to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I spent all yesterday explaining how God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ is based out of the Shema, and I may touch on that a little bit today. I just don't have the time to do it, but I will definitely say that you need to send the video to him, Joby, as it gets edited, so that he can listen to it with the notes, and I'll send it to you as one. The notes and the video will be together uh, tomorrow. And he needs to listen to that, and anybody who thinks the way they do, because they have no explanation for how Jesus is Lord and the Father is God. They run into contradictions. And if I have time, I'll get into that argument later, but I will now demolish all their other arguments by the grace of of Jesus with the peace of the Lord with me. So let's look at the first thing uh, that came up in the article that they sent us. And this is quite common that comes up as well, is that the idea of the Trinity is pagan because Roman Catholics believe in the Trinity. This is called a fallacy of general, of hasty generalization. When you say, uh, because it looks like these people do something, I'm going to now make a generalization and say everything they do is like this. So uh, in the sense of Roman Catholicism, because Roman Catholicism has pagan traditions like praying to the saints, having statues in their building, all of their doctrines come from paganism. Well, that's incorrect. And if you ever hear anybody say specifically that the belief of the Trinity either came from Roman Catholicism, the Council of Nicaea, um, the Roman Emperor Constantine was borrowed from paganism. You have just met a uh, town that is missed. You, you have met the town fool. There is a town idiot missing somewhere out there, and you have now met, found them, and you need to send them back. They know absolutely nothing about history. What they have basically told you is, I know nothing of Roman Catholicism history. I know nothing of church history. I know nothing of pagan history. What they have told you is, 
uh, as this article did show us, that they take a few things out of encyclopedias, almost like that person in the basement, and start putting strings together to start showing you how that there are reptilian creatures that are running the Congress through the Rothschild Foundation, etc., and through the ball of yarn and their connections, they've made it work. It's, it's bogus. And so all we do is start with the, the first claim, the first claim. Um, did the Trinity originate with Roman Catholicism? Well, the first question is, when did Roman Catholicism originate? If you think Roman Catholicism, as we know today, originated at the Council of Nicaea, you don't even know your history and what the Council of Nicaea was. There was not even a pope during the time of the Council of Nicaea. The office of a pope and the leadership of Rome, the bishop of Rome being over the churches, didn't even happen until around the 500, 600 A.D. And I have a timeline that you can show him, and we say, debunk that, sir. Show us in history that Roman Catholicism even existed at the Council of Ni Nicaea. If you then want to look at church history and they want to say the Council of Nicaea invented the Trinity, they don't even know what the Council of Nicaea was about. The Council of Nicaea was not about the Trinity. The Council of Nicaea was about the divinity of Jesus against the heresy of Arianism. And how do we know that? Because we have church history. So as a matter of fact, the very thing they start these articles off with actually pimp slap their doctrine. The idea that somehow that Trinity is pagan is actually incorrect. Trinity predates Nicaea, which wasn't even about the Trinity, which was about the deity of Christ. And what is pagan is the fusing together of a demigod with our God. And that is what Arianism is. That is what Jehovah Witnesses is. That is what um, Seventh-day Adventism is. It is not found in church history. They are the cult of the 1800s. They are the cult of Adventism. Study out Adventism, where it came from. They believed in the second coming of Jesus being within their lifetime. They added the laws of Moses into their day. They added things that they thought were there, but they weren't there. Show me in church history where, let's take the Jehovah Witnesses first, because the one that he sent me came from a, um, a Judaizing cult influenced by Seventh-day Adventism, but let's just look at the Jehovah Witnesses. Show me any church fathers for 300 years that used the quote-unquote sacred names. They spoke in Greek. They spoke in Latin. We have their writings they did not use these words. The word Jehovah is a German derivative from the Tetragrammaton. didn't even exist, and it's an improper translation. If you want to act like you know something, come to the table with what you got and let it be tested and every man be a liar. Amen? And then I know that some of them listen at these videos when I debate them as well. They get upset because they get rocked so hard. Listen, come to our chapel and we'll rock you in person. We'll give you equal time. We'll pay for your gas money. We're not afraid of you. We've debated you so many times that your people are scared of us. You'll debate us once or twice, and I guarantee you, you'll stop coming to debate us. You'll ask us to turn off the camera. You'll say that it's unfair because you'll get rocked so hard. The Council of Nicaea was to defend the deity of Jesus as a uncreated, eternally existing as the Son equal to the Father. Where did these men that came to the Council of Nicaea get their beliefs from? The apostles and the traditions handed down. We have their writings. Clement of Rome is mentioned by Paul in the epistles. Ignatius, Polycarp. Then the disciples of the disciples, Justin Martyr was an early one as well. Then the disciples of those disciples. Tertullian was the first one to use the word Trinity in the 200s. What are you talking about? There is no place in any of the church fathers' writings where they use sacred name beliefs, mosaic laws, that is this cult and its Seventh-day Adventist influence. 
teaching to keep the Sabbath, the feast days. Show me one church father's writings in church history that promote that nonsense. And then they'll say that the uh, Council of Nicaea made Sunday the Lord's Day and these different things. Yes, there was discussions of how the calendar would be set for the Christian church, but these things predate the Council of Nicaea and go back to the early church fathers. I have them all recorded. Look them up, the church fathers and their day of worship, the church fathers and the Mosaic Law, the church fathers. You can look them up. I have lists of them with these subjects that disprove this stupidity of history. And by the way, many at the Council of Nicaea were persecuted under the Roman Empire just before the legalization under Constantine of Christianity was the worst persecution of Christians in the Roman Empire. These men had given their lives for Jesus. Many of them were tortured and hunted down when they came to this council. Do you think they would let some emperor brainwash them and adopt paganism? It's stupidity. Over time, after the legalization of Christianity, after the centralization of power in Rome, there eventually became a pope, there became a unified version of the church, and that was prophesied by Paul that they would forbid eating, forbid marriaging, they would turn aside from the truth. So yes, eventually these things came in, and we can track them through the timeline. But most people wouldn't even say, as we know, Roman Catholicism today didn't even exist until after the great schism of 1000 A.D. Because that's when the Eastern Orthodox Church said, you've gone too far, Rome. Because they themselves understood the history of the church and knew that Rome was now changing things and taking power. So you could probably say around 1000 A.D., is when you would definitively see correctly what we would call the, call the Roman Catholic Church. That's just the first argument. And it's a stupid argument. And to say because Roman Catholicism believes something, that means it's pagan. Roman Catholicism believes that there's a heaven. Pagans believe in heaven. Does that equal heaven is a pagan belief? And when you study the Old Testament, Circumcision predates the covenant that God made with Abraham. We find it in history and other Semitic religions. Does that mean that Abraham was influenced by paganism? In Hammurabi's code, which predates the Ten Commandments, we see laws that are similar to the Mosaic Law, the 613. Does that mean dietary laws or civil laws or priestly laws in the Mosaic Law are pagan? No, whatever is in common with what is true comes back to the knowledge that God gave Adam and Eve passed down through Noah after the flood. Comparative religion never disproves truth. It just shows that there's copies of copies of copies. You've said nothing. Water baptism predated John the Baptist. Water baptism as an initiation rite predated Jesus and Christianity, but it became an initiation rite of Christianity. Does that mean paganism influenced Christianity? No. The belief in one God, Zoroastrianism, predated our Christianity. Does that believe that our belief in one God as Christians is influenced by paganism? No, you're going to be some zeitgeist wannabe conspiracy theorist fool. You believe that. And cults are full of conspiracy fools. Don't be fooled and duped by silly conspiracy theories. Study yourself. Don't study some 30-page paperback book about world history and think you figured out Nimrod and Babylon. Study real, actual history with people with PhDs, which they call primary sources, lest you be rebuked as the ones being rebuked right now. They turned aside from the truth and believed the lie. That's why these cults grow. Seventh-day Adventism and what grew out of that, Jehovah Witnesses, anti-Trinitarian religions grew at the same time of Mormonism in the late 1800s, at the same time of Christian science with Mary Baker Eddy. Why is it in the late 1800s, in the early 1900s, cults exploded in America? 
Because the last days are coming upon us, and the Bible says that many false prophets will come out, and if even possible, deceive the elect. So don't fall for these lies. Go back and study history. Just to give you a few of the quotes of history uh, before I move on, I want to um, look up Tertullian with you. One of the church fathers that is responsible for framing the verbiage of our theology, which is based in the Bible. But Justin Martyr in 160 AD, along with Irenaeus in 180 AD, had already formulated these thoughts. Tertullian in 198 AD used the word Trinity to describe the belief of the early church. Here he is in his letter on modesty, chapter 21, 198 A.D. The Council of Nicaea, around 325 A.D. This is 125 years before a supposed council about the Trinity, which once again had nothing to do about the Trinity but the deity of Jesus and by clarifying the deity of Jesus, it could clarify the belief of the God nature. Here is Tertullian, chapter 21. For the very church itself is properly and principally the, the Spirit himself, in whom is the trinity of the one divinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. By 213 A.D., he is fully rocking anyone that comes against this belief, by saying it clearly over and over again. Bear always in mind, this is from his letter against Proxus, and there's always been cults, there's always been false beliefs, chapter 9, 213 A.D. Bear always in mind that this is the rule of faith which I profess. By it I testify that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are inseparable from each other. And so we will know in what sense that it's, so will you know in what sense this is said, now observe my assertion is that the Father is one, and the Son is one, and the Spirit is one, and that they are distinct from each other, yet they are inseparable. My friends, don't fall for the false history of the Christian church. Sure, there is paganism in Roman Catholicism, but there's also truth in Roman Catholicism. Do not make the fallacy of a hasty generalization and simply say because a little bit of it is pagan, all of it is pagan. When you behave in such a way, you contradict yourself. Once again, anyone who thinks Roman Catholicism is pagan would have to deny any belief that they have, that they believe is true if Roman Catholicism has it because it would be pagan. Inconsistency is the sign of a failed argument. Can I hear an amen? Now, moving past history, which, of course, is not as fun as looking at the Scripture, and it's not our foundation of truth. Our truth is in the Scriptures. What you're going to see when you deal with anti-Trinitarian belief system, which is very similar to the Arian belief, the Arian heresy has come up often throughout the church, because it's the most, I believe, the believable lie to come against the Trinity. And so the argument really goes as such that Yahweh, who is the proper name of God of the Old Testament, is one person. And this is reiterated in the Shema of Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. Yahweh is Ahad. Yahweh is one. Now, what they will say now is that at some point in the past, the Father Yahweh begets the Son. They will then try to say that the Son is not being created because his substance comes from the Father. So his substance has always existed. But now he begins to exist as a separate person, and he is divine because he shares of the substance of the Father, but he is not the Father. Does everybody understand that? What this is, is polytheism. That's exactly what this is. 
and we will show it over and over and over again. So that's what I said before. Not only can you rebuke every sacred name called with church history because they thought it was on their side, is you can rebuke this false belief. The Jehovah Witness has to mistranslate John 1.1 and say it's a God. We know right there that has got into the realm of polytheism and it's a mistranslation. This cult that we're dealing with through Joe B wants to keep the translation the way it is but simply assert that what Jesus is as a God is a lesser God than what the Father is as a God. And so I haven't seen if they use this argument, but oftentimes they do. And by the way, I can argue it better time, uh, oftentimes better than they can. Meaning if we were to have a debate between you and them, I'll do a better job as them than they will. Because once again, ignorance seeps into all of their thoughts and their consistency. But generally the argument that they'll make is that the Father is almighty God and Jesus is mighty God. And so the idea now is here is that Jesus can do all of these things because the Father begat him to have the authority and the power that he has. But we run into a problem in John 1 verse 3. And let us look at it so that we don't get caught up in the Greek. But let me just simply tell you this is the proper translation of John 1.1, 1, 1, and we have dealt with it here. And to put an interpretation into it, it's very simple. In the beginning was the Word, who is the Son. And the Word was with God the Father. And the Word was God like the Father. Not hard to understand. It's very simple. We'll get to 118 in just a moment. But let us continue on to get to verse 3. He was with God in the beginning... Very simple. Now verse 3, through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. Any confusion there? Absolutely none. So let's put a little category here. Things not made, things made. What goes in the category of not made? in the entire spectrum of all that we know. What goes in that category? God. Is God made? Yes or no? Okay. What do we put here in made? Everything else. Where does Jesus go? Made or not made? According to verse 3. <laughs> not made. End of discussion. I will hold anybody there. I will debate this alone for two hours, and they will go nowhere. They will go nowhere. They will get frustrated. They will run to Colossians. They will go to firstborn. They will go to John 3.16, begotten. They will try to insert everything they can into this context to change what it simply means. It is as clear as possibly could be. Through him, through the word, through Jesus, all things were made. What side does Jesus go on? The things not made. It is a devil's lie to say that there is a history before the beginning and now Jesus is made. And so now from this beginning of Scripture, he can now be considered the maker of all things. That is called eisegesis. It doesn't exist in the text. And it is a lie. The text says in the beginning. That means whenever there was a point for the writer to start describing something, which is as far back as we ever go in Scripture, this is it. In that point where the writer is given revelation, there is already the Word. That means pre-existence before all things. He is not a created thing. That is the point of John 1.1. 1, 1. That is the point. Can I hear an amen? How do we know this? Because Jesus takes the exact same title that belongs to Yahweh. And we'll get to those titles in just a moment. But I want to show it very, very clearly. Jesus takes on 
the title in the book of Revelation as being the first and the last. And I want you to see that, and I have it right here, and I got all these points, and I don't want to miss them. Let me make sure I got it here. Nope, that's another one. Give me just a second. wish I would have taken the time. I, of all the ones I put down, I didn't put this down. Let me, yep, go to Revelation 117, and then go to Isaiah, and go to Revelation 117, and then give me the passage in Isaiah. Jesus says, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last, Isaiah 41, 4. Who has done this and carried it through, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, Yahweh, with the first of them and with the last, I am He. Revelation 1, 17, with Isaiah 41, verse 4. How many firsts can there be? How many? How many? One. He says, I am the first. The first. Yahweh says that. If you want to say of Jesus that it only means the first of created things, you are committing heresy, eisegesis, speaking outside of the text. We define the text within the text, line upon line, precept upon precept. It is defined in Isaiah by Yahweh himself what that title means first and last. It belongs to Yahweh and Yahweh alone. And that's now where we're going to get into the second uh, uh, or the third point. The first point is church history shows the Trinity. Number two, Jesus is not made. Number three... Jesus takes on the title of Yahweh. How many Yahwehs are there? One, two, or three. How many Yahwehs are there? Things that only Yahweh can do, things that others can do. Can you take credit for anything that Yahweh says he alone can do? Yes or no? Okay. First, let us see that there is only one Yahweh. Go with me to Ephesians. Ephesians is very clear with us here. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, also found in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 5 through 6. Paul expands the Shema. This is the part that I was speaking towards yesterday, and I will slow it down to explain it to you. First, I'll give you the Shema again in Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. When we read from Ephesians today at the beginning, what are the two titles that are used to describe the Father and the Son? What are they? Ephesians 1, 2. Lord and God. What are the two titles used in the Shema? Lord and God. How does Paul expand the Shema to now include the Son? Listen to how he says it. And by the way, when you look to the Septuagint, Curios haste, it is said grammatically exactly the same way. Remember the Old Testament was translated about 100 years before Jesus from the Hebrew to the Greek, and it helps us to understand the New Testament writers because they quote more often from the Septuagint than they do the Hebraic Old Testament, and that's another discussion to show that and proof, especially in Hebrews. Ephesians chapter 4, 4 through 6, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, when you were called one Lord. How many Lords? One Lord, Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord is one. Kyrios, Hes, Hes, Kyrios. Do you see it? One faith, one baptism, one God and Father, 
of all who is uh, of all who is over all through all and in all now we have a problem how many lords are there how many the lord is one yahweh is ahad one is jesus being called yahweh here yes or no yes if he is not what do we now have two lords two lords if there are not but one Lord, there are two Lords. Welcome to polytheism. Welcome to the rebuke of 1 Corinthians 8, 5 through 6. For even if there are many so-called gods in heaven or on earth, indeed there are many gods and lords. These are what the pagans believe, and though they're nothing, Paul says later on, they're make-believe. Yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came, from whom we live, and but one what? One Lord, Jesus Christ, from whom all things came and through whom we live. Notice that they both are sharing the credit for humanity existing and all things existing. Now, someone may make the difference between from whom and through whom, but that is only because we believe the Father and Son have different roles but not different natures. The Father can initiate, the Son can implement, and the Spirit can actually do the things of God. But that doesn't mean their different roles define different nature. Just because the woman has a different role in the house does not mean she's a different kind of human. Just because my children are younger than me and must obey me doesn't mean that they are a lesser human than me. They share the human nature despite their role. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit share the divine nature despite having different roles. All eternal, all co-equal. Are you listening? How many Yahwehs are there? It can only be one. How many lords are there? One. So now they want to say that because Jesus has a God or Jesus has a Father, that this must mean that he is not God himself. No, Jesus is in eternal submission to the Father. This article says that Christians don't believe that. From the Athanasian Creed, we have specified that. Though you can be a Christian and have a different view of how the Son has been in eternal relationship with the Father, the standard orthodox position, and our greatest scholars back this up, and they just came out with a new class with Millard Erickson and I believe Horton as well. Uh, not Horton, but uh, another great scholar. Uh, teaching the eternal submission of the Son. We've always believed in the Son being submitted to the Father. But once again, different roles don't mean different nature. Prove that it does in the Scripture. You can't. But now we have a problem according to them because there's one Lord. But now I ask them, is Jesus Yahweh? If Jesus is not Yahweh, now we have two Lords. But let us prove that Jesus is Yahweh. Would you like to see the proof? Let's see the proof that Jesus is Yahweh. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Go to Philippians chapter 2, 9 through 11. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is what? Is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, if Jesus is Lord and God is the Father, then that would mean, according to them, that Jesus is Yahweh and God can't be Yahweh. But we believe that Yahweh, the one name, describes the three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Baptize them in the name, singular, Father, Son, Spirit. So if there are now two Yahwehs, we have a problem. If there's two lords, we have a problem. If God is not Lord as well, sharing the name of Yahweh, God the Father, we have a problem. And if Jesus is not Yahweh, we have a problem. Every way you slice this, except the right way, there is a problem. Jesus Christ is Lord, in Greek is Kyrios, but where is that quote coming from? Jesus Christ is Yahweh according to Isaiah 45, 22. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Is there another God created at another time? Are there other gods on other planets, according to Mormons? No, no other, no other demigod. And I'll show you in another place where he says, after me, I will never create one. 
He will never create another God, one God, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. But now watch. By myself I have sworn my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. This can't change. God the Father there is speaking on behalf of his Son. It cannot change. Why? Because it says before me every knee will bow. Picture in heaven bowing before the Father and the Son. If the Son is not the God of the Old Testament, this is polytheism, and this prophet has lied. And Paul is a false prophet. But if Jesus shares the nature of the Father, if Jesus shares the name of Yahweh, this is, according to Paul, the fulfillment and the revelation of who the Son is. Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear. By me, he says, every tongue will swear. They will say of me in the Lord Yahweh alone. Alone. How many? Alone. Are deliverance and strength. You cannot bow down to another separate created being and fulfill this scripture. You do that, you're an idolater. Jehovah Witnesses are idol worshipers. Their Jesus is a false lower God. Seventh-day Adventists who teach this are idol worshipers. That is the paganism of history. Paganism has always taught in demi-lesser gods. That is what Krishna is to Brahma. They are the true pagans. And I got a video on that to expose Arians and false Trinitarian people when they think we're the pagans because they show a triad of gods in Hinduism or a triad of gods in Babylonianism. Those are not the definitions of our trinity, but the definition of their Jesus to their father is the exact definition of pagan gods and deities by their definitions. The way they describe how Jesus came from the father, sharing in his substance, but yet now he's a separate being, and so he has, you know, the sharing of divinity. That's exactly how Krishna comes from Brahma. These are the satanic lies. These are the satanic lies, I repeat. Let's look again in Romans 10, 13, and let me get the full context here about calling on the name of the Lord and being saved. Who is the name of the Lord that we must call upon? Look at Romans here, chapter 10, and it says it very simply here. It says in verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But look at this right here as it continues on. It says, who has believed our message? Faith comes by hearing, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. And then let me show, I just skipped it up here. Let me, let me go to it. Yes, thank you. I just passed it. It's hard when I got this big thing here. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Romans 10, 17, uh, 10, 13, once again, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. If Jesus is not Yahweh, there are two lords. There's a lowercase lord and a big lord. Big Father Yahweh Lord, 6,000 times referenced in the Old Testament, and there's now this little lowercase lord running around. Paganism. But according to the scripture, Joel 2.32, everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh will be saved. That's the quote he gets it from. Paul's a good Jew. He's not a polytheist. He's not a pagan. He doesn't believe in demigods. He believes that the Son is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father. And so is the Spirit. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So who do we bow to, Yahweh or somebody else? Huh? Who do we bow to? 
Who do we confess as Lord, Yahweh or somebody else? Who saves, Yahweh or somebody else? Who is the one that created us, Yahweh or somebody else? And I'll show you that now. Because they say, once again in their writing, that Jesus was a partner with the Father in creating the universe. And if they understood the Trinity, they could understand the plurality of Elohim in Genesis. Let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our likeness. But Jesus is not a separate being. Jesus is Yahweh. But he's not the Father nor the Son. Because the contradiction comes quickly when you go to creation narratives of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it is Yahweh alone who stretches forth the heavens. Yahweh, not a demiurge with Yahweh, not Yahweh with angels, Yahweh alone. Can I hear an amen? Isaiah 44, 24. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer who forms you in the womb. Who formed people in the womb? Yahweh or somebody else? Yahweh, your Redeemer who forms you. I am the Lord, the maker of all things. Who is the maker of all things? Yahweh or somebody else? Yahweh, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by myself. Who makes the heavens and the earth? Yahweh or somebody else? Jesus is Yahweh. The Father is Yahweh. The Spirit is Yahweh. This is the teaching of the Bible. If you don't understand how the Trinity comes about through the Bible, let me help anyone who's stuck with us this long. The three foundations of the Trinitarian belief that the church fathers, the apostles, have always believed is foundation one. There is only one God and forever will only be one God. And that's what I'll show you in Isaiah 43.10. Go there quickly that there cannot be another God formed. There cannot be another God begotten. There cannot be another creator made. You are my witnesses, Isaiah 43.10. This is even found in Jehovah Witness Scripture. They should be called Yahweh Witnesses to be consistent with the Hebrew, but even here they are rebuked. Doesn't that show you the devil's lies? You've seen the children of Israel do all of these uh, miracles by the hand of God. Your Pharaoh, your child has just died. You've let them go because you're afraid. Now you change your mind. You chase them down. You're looking at a sea that's been split in two by the power of their God. And what do you do as a fool? Do you run away or do you run headlong right into it? And you run right into it. The Jehovah Witnesses in their own very motto, have the rebuke to their belief of God. Because the Bible says the fool is blind and cannot see what makes him stumble, and they're hypocrites, and they're liars, because they have forsaken the truth. Most of all of these converts of these cults came from Roman Catholicism, or they themselves had a weak Christian background, and they were pray, pray for these cults. And the devil says in the last, uh, God says last days, there will come many false prophets and false Christ. Not just false Christ like the Jesus from Puerto Rico or the Jesus in the Philippines or etc. But false prophets. Charles Taze Russell, false prophets. The founder of Seventh-day Adventism, false prophet. Founder of Christian Science, false prophet. The founder of this man's cult is a false prophet. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I've chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. If Jesus is not Yahweh, he is another formed God doing things that God said he alone does, and therefore he is an idol, a false God. They are the pagans. They are the satanic ones. They are the ones who reject the God of the Bible. Jesus was not formed at some point by the Father in eternity past, in the beginning was the Word. 
was always there. All things were created through him. Is he a created thing or an uncreated thing? What is the only first and the last, according to the Bible, uncreated thing? Yahweh. According to the Bible, what is the one who is the one that makes all things? Yahweh. So when we look at Jesus, we're not looking at a demigod that was formed later. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me, there is no Savior. And they may say, well, Joshua, you know, the, the earthly man Joshua bore the name of our Savior, which means Yahweh saves, Yahshua. And there's other people in the Bible that God uses to be quote-unquote saviors. But that is a false comparison. It's a false comparison. Obviously, God is the Father, but there's other fathers on earth. God is a Savior. There's other Saviors on earth. That's not the kind of Savior, the kind of Father, or the kind of Maker. He is saying He is. He is saying, I am alone, the Savior responsible for your soul. I alone am the one responsible for your creation. Alone. That's something to think about. Let us review these things. I'm so passionate. Let us review them. Let us take our time and make sure that we have done our due diligence in closing. Number one, the Trinity is in church history. Anyone that says otherwise is lying. Let them prove it. Let them prove two things. Number one, the Trinity is not where we say it is hundreds of years before the Council of Nicaea, and then let them show us that their teachings are, and you will not find them. You will not find the heresies of these cults in the early church fathers. They were not Sabbath-keeping, want-to-be, religious, Jewish, Judaizers, inspectors, and pecker checkers to seeing who was circumcised and who wasn't, pardon my language, but that's what they would do. That was not them. Their apostles rebuked those men in Galatians and other letters like Hebrews. Number one, the Trinity is found in church history in places like Ignatius, in places like Tertullian hundreds of years before the Nicene Council. At best, Roman Catholicism was formed around 600 A.D. To be conservative, closer to 1,000 A.D. Trinitarian belief was framed from the pens of the apostles, if not the Old Testament prophets. Number two, Jesus is Yahweh because he is uncreated unbegotten in the sense to be formed separately from the Father. In other words, Jesus, the Word, is eternal, unchanged, unformed. According to where? John 1, 1 through 3. Number 3. There is only one Lord, and the Lord is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, primarily focusing on Jesus because he does things in creation, in saving, in being worshipped that only the one Yahweh, excuse me, says he will receive. Does everybody get that? I have so many more to go through. I didn't have time. Uh, these were just a few of the seven. I, I believe I gave him eight points that I would rebut here, but I got to about three, and I think I might have combined one. Some of the things that uh, we said before that people try to bring up is that in Isaiah it says Jesus, uh, Yahweh is Almighty God, but in Isaiah 9 it says he'll be called Mighty God El Gabor. But in Jeremiah, or excuse me, also in Isaiah 10, 21, it says that the Yahweh, that Yahweh is 
the mighty God. So mighty God and almighty God are not a differentiation of significance to Yahweh. They're both used of him. And then in Jeremiah, 20, uh, Jeremiah 32, 18, it says, Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands and recompense the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. So that is a fallacy. Another fallacy that is brought up is that Matthew 28, when I say the name, doesn't include the nature and equality between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They have to prove otherwise. Tell me one place anywhere else where Yahweh gives his name to anyone other than the Father, Son, or the Holy Spirit. You cannot find a place. The name of Yahweh is applied to only that which is the God of the Bible. That name is not shared with anyone else. Their way around it is a lie, and it doesn't play through the Bible, and it doesn't even make sense in the context. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, one name. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. Connect it. It's simple. Deuteronomy 6, 4, with the baptismal formula of Matthew. Clear, one name, one Lord. Some of the other arguments that are brought up in this uh, discussion is that because people say that Jesus has a God, as we addressed before, that that must mean he is not God. That is not true. Jesus is eternally submitted to the Father. Jesus has an eternal submission to the Father, as does the Spirit. Just as from the moment I got married with my wife in that point of marriage, when our marriage began, she was submitted to me. That never changed her nature. That is a categorical error. To simply say that because the son submits to the father and has always done so, that he is forever begotten of the father, and we'll read the Athanasian Creed in closing, to somehow mean he is less than in nature is a categorical error. Prove that someone cannot be subordinate without being uh, uh, the same in nature. Prove that those things cannot go together. Do you guys understand? Everyone look up at me, please. It's a categorical error. You're making an error. I am over you right now. Does that equal I am greater than you? No. Greater than you in nature has nothing to do with authority. So they misunderstand our eternal begottenness of the Son that we've always taught, by the way. Another thing that uh, comes up is that Jesus is the archangel Michael. That is just fully stupid. The Bible never says that. And the Bible actually says the exact opposite of that. In the uh, book of Hebrews, says that Jesus is not an angel. Where they get confused is by Jesus showing up in the Old Testament, which we call Christophanes, and he's called the angel of the Lord. Angel is a Hebrew word simply for messenger. But he is not an angel as a created being in the angelic class. He is a messenger of the Father. He is the word of Yahweh. It's that simple. And look at it again in Hebrews 1.6. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Once again, if you're not worshiping the one God, you're committing idolatry. Only one God gets worshiped in the Bible. One Lord. How many gods are there? One. How many lords are there? So how many gods get worshipped? One. In speaking of the angels, he makes them spirit, angels, spirits, and servants, flames of fire. And then he calls him God, which is another problem in their theology, which they admit that God the Father calls him God. Your throne, O God, will last forever. But they try to get around that because it says, therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions. First of all, if God calls him God, he's God. The second sentence is not going to change that. God is called God. Jesus is called God by the Father. And then it's said that he has a God because he's eternally submitted to the Father. Hebrews 1, 8 and 9. And then he says clearly, which one of the angels did he ever say this to? This is in Hebrews 
in Hebrews chapter 2. Just lost my place here. Verse 9. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, is now crowned with glory. And this is talking about the incarnation. And then in verse 5, it is not to angels that has, he has subjected the world to come. Jesus cannot be in an angelic class. He can be a messenger of the Father in the Old Testament, known as the angel of the Lord, the one who visits with Gideon and so forth, but he is not of the angelic class. God has never spoken to an angel this way. That's the whole point. Any other questions before we read the Athanasian Creed, which was even further defined uh, against the Arian heresy of which these people believe, that Jesus is a separate being, though sharing in substance, and so he can somehow be worshipped, etc. but um, nonetheless violates the Bible by there only being one Lord, one Yahweh. Yes? All right, let's look at the Athanasian Creed in closing. Now, this is the Catholic faith. Now, once again, you read that and you think that's Roman Catholicism. You're ignorant. The church fathers use the word Catholic to mean universal. Look it up in the dictionary. It means universal. It doesn't mean I submit to the Pope of Rome, pray to Mary, and pray to saints. This is the universal faith. Use the word universal if you like it better. This is the universal faith that we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person, the person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit still another. And I wish I would have had time to speak of the Holy Spirit, but if you send him our other video, he'll hear all the references to the Holy Spirit there. But the, one divini but the divinity of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is one. So there's three distinct persons, Father, Son, Spirit, but the divinity is one. Their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. What quality the Father has, the Son has, and the Holy Spirit has. The Father is uncreated, the Son is uncreated, the Holy Spirit is uncreated. The Father is immeasurable, the Son is immeasurable, the Holy Spirit is immeasurable. The Father is eternal, the Son is eternal, the Holy Spirit is eternal. And yet there are not three eternal beings, there's but one eternal being. So too there are not three uncreated or immeasurable beings, there's but one uncreated and immeasurable being. Think of it like this, there's one what and three who's. What is God? One eternal Yahweh, co-equal in three who's. Who is God? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What is God? The one being of Yahweh, all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere, existing eternally as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Those are our three who's. Similarly, the Father is almighty, the Son is almighty, the Holy Spirit is almighty, yet there are not three almighties, three almighty beings, there is but one almighty being. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. Thus the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, yet there are not three gods, there is but one God. The Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Spirit is Lord, yet there are not three lords, there is but one Lord. Just as the Christian truth compels us to confess each person individually as both God and Lord, so the Catholic faith, a religion forbids us to say that there are three gods or three lords. The Father was neither made nor created nor begotten from anyone. The Son was neither made nor created, he was begotten from the Father alone. The Holy Spirit was neither made nor created nor begotten, he proceeds from the Father and the Son. That is their role in eternity. Whatever begotten means in monogenus, the Greek word, simply applies to Jesus for as long as the Father has existed and Jesus has existed. And eternity past, their relationship has been one of submission and authority. Father with authority, the Son in submission, and the Holy Spirit proceeding. Try to say otherwise from the scriptures. Accordingly, there is one Father, not three fathers. One Son, not three funds. One Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. Nothing in this trinity is before or after. Nothing is greater or smaller. 
and their, in their entirety, the three persons are co-eternal and co-equal with each other. And we'll end at that point. Joby, please get ready to shut it off. Father, we thank you for our wonderful time here in the name of Jesus. We pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that this individual will be saved, that other cult members will be saved, that all will come to worship you for who you are. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen.